John MacArthur says that the faithful Christian life is a battle. It is warfare on a grand scale because when God begins to bless, Satan begins to attack. Let me ask us this morning, is this the perspective we have about life, that it's a battlefield? It was A.W. Toes who asked the question, do we look at this life, this world, as a playground, or do we look at this life as a battleground? Because truth be known, there is a continuous battle for our heart's affections, for our devotion to Christ, for our worship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And honestly, the war seems to be foreign concept to most Christian churches that many of them see to try to sell the gospel. It seems to me that many pastors act more like used car salesmen instead of godly shepherds who are called the shepherd, the flock of Jesus Christ. We hear many of them say things like, you want to follow Christ, don't you? I mean, he wants to give you more than you can ever imagine. He wants to make all your dreams come true. He wants to give you health, wealth, and happiness. I ask you, church, does this evangelistic message cause people to give up all to follow Christ? Or does it cause them or draw them to come to Christ to get everything they can from him? There's a big difference in trying to convince people to follow Christ because of what you can get or receive from him versus simply pointing people to Christ because he deserves all glory. Christ's obedience to the Father, his perfect sacrifice on the cross, his unfathomable grace, his unexplainable mercy should cause us to repent and sacrifice all for our King Jesus. And once we turn to him, we better believe it's not all sugar pops and candy canes either. That is why scripture teaches us to count the cost before we turn to Christ. Carry our cross daily to become a disciple of Christ. Die daily to ourselves, to the flesh. And this morning, this topic that we're going to discuss is spiritual warfare. We're going to actually look at spiritual warfare from a biblical perspective. So open your Bibles up to Ephesians 6, and we're going to start in verse 10 this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 10. And as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you. Father, I ask that you help us not to just do that with our lips or come to church just on Sunday morning, but help us to praise and honor you in our families, in our daily routines of life. Help us to be full of you, full of your spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, Father. Help us as believers not to give into the culture, but to walk counterculture for your glory and honor as Christians. But we ask, Father, that we do that with love and grace and humility to those who do not know you. Help us to be Christians like that. Help us at the family church to be that way. We are in awe of who you are, Father. 
your sovereignty, your holiness, your love, your grace, your mercy. We praise and honor you this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul reminds the early church to be strong in the Lord. But why does Paul remind them to be strong in the Lord in the middle of battle? Why is that? Well, when we think of battle, when we think about soldiers, when we think about facing our enemy, when we think about facing our foe, Fear is right in the middle of that. Fear is in the heart of those soldiers. The fear of dying, the fear of being severely wounded, the fear of being captured is a clear and present reality. And we know fear is a God-given emotion that alerts us to danger, that helps us in crisis. But other times in the battle, fear can be a real problem. Fear can get out of control. Fear can paralyze us as believers. Fear can be sinful. You may be wondering, when can fear actually be sinful? Well, fear becomes sinful when we turn to self instead of God. When we look inwardly for the answers to life issues, when we conclude that we are going to have to fight this one on our own, when we become self-focused, self-driven, self-oriented, and we forget about God and we forget about following his word, we often end up taking on fights only God can handle. We become overwhelmed with worry. And worry turns into fear. Fear turns into anxiety. And anxiety turns into depression, which I think is a real issue these days. The progression of diving deeper into self and turning away from God is often a slow and painful process. You don't have to turn there, but, pro- but you can just jot this down. Proverbs 28 26, Proverbs 28, 26 says this. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So it's not just wrong to trust in ourselves. It says that we are foolish when we do. It is not about our abilities. It is not about our giftings. It's not about our strength, and it's not about our might. That guides us. Paul reminds us to be strong in the Lord, church, and in the strength of his might, not our own. Which leads to point number one. Christians are called to depend on the Lord, not self. Point number one says Christians are called to depend on the Lord, not self. Who are we depending on for our strength in the battle this morning? What do we turn to for guidance, self or God's word? What about when we have a problem? Do we turn to God or do we fall back on our own logic and reasoning? The Puritan William Gurnall once said this, 
the outcome of the battle rests on God's performance, not on your skill or your strength. How does this quote sit with us this morning? Some may be thinking, that sounds like God is in control of our lives. And I'd ask you, is that a good thing or bad thing? Is it a biblical thing? Let's look at a few passages on that, and we're going to start in Proverbs 21.31. Proverbs 21.31, and we're just going to look at a few of these passages to flesh this perspective out. Proverbs 21.31. It says this, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. We'll go up a few uh, verses up. Proverbs 21, 1. Proverbs 21, 1. So we're in the same chapter, but we're moving on to verse 1. And it says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. And the he turns it wherever he will is talking about God turning the king's heart wherever he wants for his sovereign will is what it's saying. And then we'll go also to Proverbs 16, 9. Go a few pages back to Proverbs 16, 9. And it says this, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let me read that again. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So these verses reveal that we can take a sigh of relief because we realize that God has not left us alone to battle for ourselves. He is working for us and with us, the scripture says, which, which leads to point number two. Point number two says the outcome of the battle rests on the Lord. The outcome of the battle rests on the Lord. Does this mean that we do nothing? Does this mean that we have the attitude that God has it all figured out so we can just sit back and relax? Is that what the Bible teaches? Do we follow the saying, let go and let God? Let me ask, how does this attitude or thinking work when we're trying to find a job? Well, the Bible says God has my job in the palm of his hand. So that means I can sort of sit back, watch TV on the couch, let go and let God, right? And I'll get some potato chips and just hang out until the job falls into my lap. Is that what we do? The Bible also says that a man who is lazy or does not work shouldn't eat either, right? So we recognize that we have a responsibility to obey God's clear commands in Scripture, right? Let's look at another passage to, to fully see this perspective. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Turn with me to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And we see here... Our responsibility, man's responsibility, and God's sovereignty working together, working in tandem. And it says this, 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." So we see in this, in this section, these two verses, verse 12, it says that we are called to be diligent. We're called to obey God's word with a seriousness, with a reverence, with a holy fear. That's what it says. But then, it, that's our responsibility. That's man's responsibility. But then verse 13 goes on and gives the reality that it is God that is making us able to actually follow his word and actually be obedient to him. He is working in us and through us and for us. That's what the Bible says. So we see the mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility working together. Working together. The next question that we might have is how do we trust the Lord when we are in the heat of the battle? How do we actually trust the Lord when, when we're in the struggle? Well, let's go back to our main text. Go back to Ephesians 6, and we're moving on to verse 11. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on... The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me say that again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul says we trust the Lord by putting on the armor of God. That we trust the Lord by obeying what his clear word tells us to do. But why should we put on the whole armor of God? Why should we do this? Well, let's look back. To verse 11 again. Let's read it again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Point number three says the armor of God equips us to stand against the schemes of the devil. Point number three says the armor of God equips us to stand against the schemes of the devil. Without our armor, we are vulnerable to Satan's attacks. It would be like a football player playing in a game without his pads on. He's in real trouble because he is vulnerable. He's vulnerable. But sometimes as Christians, we can put on the armor of God and still be unprepared for Satan's attacks. And I want to just look at Two basic ones that I see a real issue with in the church that shows that often we are unprepared for battle. The first way we are unprepared for battle is when we lose our love for Christ. The first way we are unprepared for battle is when we lose our love for Christ. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. The, the, the letter, the, the sermons that we've been going through has been through the letter of Ephesians. And we probably assume that things went well for this church because think about it, the future looked bright. They had Paul the Apostle overseeing and helping the church. We later find out that Timothy was helping the church at Ephesus. These are some amazing leaders they had, right? But we find out in the near future that things look good outwardly, 
But inwardly, the church at Ephesus was falling apart. How do I know this? Well, we have the book of Revelation that was written about 20 to 30 years after the letter to the church at Ephesus was written. So we can look at Revelation 2, 2 through 5, which speaks specifically about the church at Ephesus and what has happened in 20 to 30 years later. So turn with me to Revelation 2, 2 through 5. Revelation 2, 2 through 5, where we see the church at Ephesus. And it says this, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I, knew, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That sounds pretty good if we just stopped right there, right? But let's go on. And it says this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So we see that the church at Ephesus had lost their zeal. They had lost their first love, which was Christ which was Christ. Just think about it. They were standing on truth. They were patient under troubles, afflictions, and persecutions. They were hard, diligent workers. But for what purpose? What was the reason why they were doing all these things? Because we see that they became Christian Pharisees, following good theology, good doctrine, without, without loving Christ. I mean, think about it. Good doctrine, good theology should drive us to love Christ all the more. But they sort of separated the two out now. They just had good theology without loving Christ. Well, what happens when we have good theology without loving Christ? We get legalism. We get a lot of do's and don'ts. We get a lot of rules and regulations, right? But I'm sad to say that this just doesn't just happen at the church at Ephesus or the early church, but it often happens with us as well. If we can be honest and examine our own hearts, often we aren't loving Christ either. God's word says that we cannot serve two masters. Yet... We arrogantly think otherwise and turn our affections, we turn our heart, we turn our thoughts over to all sorts of things. And before you know it, we say, oh yeah, I love Christ, oh yeah, I'm raising my hands in worship, but in reality, our heart has grown cold to Christ and we don't have a true living, breathing relationship with Him any longer. We set our Bibles down. And now our hearts are immersed, aflamed in other things like sports, finances, or material possessions, and even other good things like our jobs, our families, our children, our spouse. And we end up becoming more in love with the things God's blessed us with instead of God the blesser himself. The very things that should drive us to a deeper love for Christ ends up drawing us away from him. The second way we are unprepared for battle is when we aren't trained in godliness. 
The second way we are unprepared for battle is when we aren't trained in godliness. What if an army didn't train or prepare for the wars that they had to face? What if they sort of said, the, the, the captain just said, you guys, just hang out, relax, just play some video games, watch some TV, have some fun. I'll let you know when it's time to go to battle. How well would these couch potatoes do on the battlefield? Well, we get our marching orders from Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, where Paul gives us some marching orders on what we are supposed to be training in. And it says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, but also to the life to come. And the Greek word for train here in verses 7 and 8 is the word gematso, which means to train for physical exercise. It means to work rigorously. It means to train hard. It means to practice until proficient. It means to discipline oneself. Paul tells Timothy not to get caught up in the foolish arguments and controversies that he was dealing with in his day. Let me ask you, do we have foolish and controversial things that we're dealing with as well in our day? Paul tells Timothy, Train yourself in godliness. Discipline yourself in godliness. Trained in godliness means disciplined in godliness. It means we are building habits that help us walk with the Lord. To be able to stand in spiritual warfare, we must be developing godly habits. There's no... We can't get around that. We have to be doing that. For example, are we in the habit of spending time with the Lord in prayer and study? What about in the home? Are we in the habit of talking to our children about the Lord? How about when we go to work? Are we in the habit of working hard unto the Lord like Casey preached on last week, which was so convicting for us, amazing sermon? What about with our spouse? Are we in the habit of honoring them because of our love for Christ? What about those of us who are retired? Are we in the habit of using our time for God's glory instead of our own? God has made us creatures of habit. Our habit patterns can help us grow in the Lord or our habit patterns can pull us away from Him as well. Some of us may have many habits that show that we are trained in ungodliness. The habit of watching TV every night for hours, or we get angry with people when things don't go our way, or we are in the habit of lying to others, or we're in the habit of of being divisive. These are a few ways that we are trained in the flesh, in ungodliness, instead of being trained in godliness and being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. What habits have we developed that honor Christ? 
What habits have we developed that dishonor Christ? Let's go back to our main passage. And we're moving on to Ephesians 6, verse 12. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Ephesians 6, verse 12. God's holy, infallible, and errant word says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This passage reveals the gravity, the seriousness of the battle that we are facing as believers. I think sometimes we have sort of a skewed view of spiritual warfare. We think of Satan and his demons are only present and working or in control when someone is playing with a Ouija board, or someone is looking at their horoscope daily, or someone is practicing witchcraft. And I would agree that these are very dark practices, but I must say Satan and his demons are alive and well when we lash out against our spouse, when we are willing not to train our children in, in the biblical truths, when we, are not, when we are desperate for people's approval over God's, when we are controlled by all sorts of lusts, when we are willing to give our lives to this world instead of Christ when we gossip about people, when we fail to do the very things we know we ought to be doing. Satan is alive and well in those areas as well. Our battle with Satan and his demons occur right in our own backyards, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our spare time, in our speech, and ultimately in our hearts. This leads to point number four. The armor of God is permanent. The armor of God is permanent if we're believers. We don't lay down our weapons and take a break to stand against Satan. We are always in the battle with Satan because we are behind enemy lines in this world. It would be like a group of soldiers facing their enemy, and they, they're both facing each other with their guns pointed, and, and some of them say, you know what, let's just take a water break for a second. Let's just put our, we're going to put our weapons down, go get something to drink. You guys just wait a minute, we'll be right back, and then we'll get right back into our battle again. That would be ridiculous, right? That would be the easiest kill for the enemy ever. In spiritual warfare, we don't have the luxury of saying things like, I just need my me time. I just need my own me time from all the stuff. We can't do that in spiritual warfare. In spiritual warfare, we can't use this as an excuse either. You know what? I'm just too busy to worry about all those other things, the other Christian things that I need to be working on. I have to drive my son here and my daughter here, and I have just so much going on. I don't have time for spiritual warfare. Or I'm going to just close my eyes and ignore all the spiritual warfare around me. La, 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 la. Can we do that? No, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We see here that Satan is our adversary. He wants to destroy us if we are in Christ. Are we sober-minded? Are we watchful? Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we equipped for spiritual battle? It's not something that we have to like figure out and say, oh, are we or aren't we? We know in our hearts if we are or aren't right now. 
So my final question is, how should we battle our enemies? How should we battle Satan and his demons? Well, let's turn to James 4. James 4. And we're going to be in verse 7 and 8. James 4, verse 7 and 8. James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So how does James tell us to resist the devil? Now, we got to remember, James was a general epistle that went out to all the churches, right? So when he's saying this, this is a general principle for all the churches to follow. So how does James tell us to resist the devil? James says, submit to God. Submit to God. You may be thinking, that's it, just submit to God. Yes, when we submit to God, we depend on Christ for our strength. And when we have the strength of God in us, we can resist Satan's attacks. And then it says, he flees from us. Point number five says this. We submit to God, and we can resist Satan's attacks. Point number five says we submit to God and we can resist Satan's attacks. The next question is, what does it mean to submit to God? What does it actually mean to submit to God? Well, let's look at verse eight. I'm going to read verse seven over again and then we'll go into verse eight in James four. And it says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So James says submitting to God means we turn to Christ. And as we turn to Christ, Christ reveals the sinfulness of us. He, He reveals how much sin is still indwelling us and still affecting us, where Satan still has a foothold in our lives and James says, repent of that sin. You double-minded, quit living two lives. Live fully for Christ. Submission to God means we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we're doing that, Satan flees because he's no match for God. He's no match for God. In conclusion, are we living like this world is a battleground? Or... Are we living like we are having fun on a playground? Are we working through our problems God's way? Or are we working through our problems our way? What about the spiritual battles that we are facing in our marriage, in our homes, in our personal time, in our minds? Where is Satan attacking us this morning? Where is Satan attacking you this morning? Where is Satan attacking me this morning? Are we drawing near to God? Are we depending on his strength to guide us, to lead us? Some of us us may be just coasting along and hoping all the problems we face will just go away and disappear. It's time We turn to Christ and love him with all of our hearts and begin to train, begin to be disciplined in godliness. We can't waste any more time. But I'd like to end 
by praising God for the changes we have seen in the midst of our own battles, our own struggles, our own storms that we have been facing as a church. God's grace has been evident, and he has used these battles in our church to draw us closer to him and to one another. Casey and I have been very encouraged with the growth and transformation that the Holy Spirit has been doing in many of you. This has been evidenced through selfless acts of love towards others. We have heard the godly counsel that has been passed on to others as we're now, instead of just telling people what we think, we we go back and study the scriptures to make sure we're giving biblical counsel to people. We've seen many of you with such patience, such resolve, going through many of the trials and the struggles personally in your own lives. We're humbled and thankful to be ministering with a church body who are willing to submit to God's word regardless of the pressures that we face, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what people are saying, we're willing to stand on the word of God and the word of God alone. Finally, Let me say that we're excited to the various ministries going on here. As Casey mentioned already, 20 people in a membership class in all the six to seven years I've been here, I've never heard of such a thing. Plus the great teachings going out in the women's ministry, the men's ministry, the counseling classes, the core classes. We continue to hear amazing reports of the fruit abounding from these ministries. We look forward with great expectations to what God has in store for the family church in the coming year. May we keep our focus on Christ and submit ourselves to him because he deserves all glory. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. Father, we recognize often We are lazy soldiers. We are ignorant soldiers. We're often not in the battle, even though we're in the battle. We often have our minds all over the place, Father. So help us as we train in godliness, Father. Help us to truly do that. Help us to have habits that are are bringing us closer to you as they're almost second nature for us, Father. Often our hearts are pulled in so many directions just because we're not making our habits godly, Father. Give us strength. Help us to grow closer as a community. Help us to grow in fellowship with one another and to sharpen one another as a family of believers. But Father, help us to not ever do it for selfish gain. Not ever do it just because we want to be better. But help us to do it because we are pouring ourselves out for your glory and your glory alone. We thank you, Father, for your son who died for us. In him we pray. Amen.